0: This episode is brought to you by Roundtable Group, the experts on experts. We've been connecting attorneys with experts for over 25 years. Find out more at roundtablegroup.com. Welcome to Discussions at the Roundtable. Today, I'm excited to welcome Dr. Howard Maybach. Dr. Maybach is a dermatologist with specialties, including allergic skin disorders and toxic exposure. Uh, He has served on the editorial boards of more than 30 scientific journals. He is a member of 19 professional societies, including the American Academy of Dermatology, the San Francisco Dermatological Society, and the International Commission on Occupational Health. Uh, Dr. Maybach has an MD, from Tulane and is a very experienced expert witness with lots of publications and a lot of journals. Dr. Maybach, thank you so much for joining me here today.
1: Happy to be with you.
0: Let's jump into it. You've had a long and illustrious career as a doctor, professor, and editor, and as an expert witness. Tell me about how you first got into uh, expert witnessing. Was it kind of out of the blue or is it something that you were looking for?
1: I was clearly not looking for it. It was out of the blue. A few years into my joining UCSF, a very senior faculty member asked to meet with me. He had a son-in-law who needed some expert witness help. I assured my senior faculty member and another department, a wonderful gentleman, that I had no experience. And he said, that's all right you're the only one I know that can do this. Everybody else has turned me down. My common sense told me that I ought to know more than just pleasing a senior faculty member. So he sent me the medical records and his young son-in-law, the lawyer, in a little town in Northern California was on the right side of fairness. So I reviewed the records more intensely. I got all of the literature. And on the appointed day, I took the early morning flight to a little town in Northern California. I was then able to get from the little airport to a courtroom in a little town. When I got into the courtroom, I realized I had no idea where I was going, where I belonged in the little courthouse. Eventually, somebody working in the courthouse saw a lost young doctor and said, I know exactly where you belong, but who are you? I told him who I was, and he said, son, you're in trouble. Do you know who the opposing side is? I said, no, I don't. He said, well, it's the district attorney. They eat you up for breakfast. Well, I was intimidated before I got to the courthouse, but with that comment I was more intimidated. But I did give my testimony. The jury agreed with me for decades after that. The gentleman whose breakfast had me take care of his family and represent him in other cases. (laughs) So what did I learn from that? I learned to be to and not be intimidated the next vignette which i found highly instructive and solidified my interest in occasionally doing this is a case not about an individual but about society the issue was what is the responsibility of government agencies to make decisions based on science. The chemical uh, exposure was skin exposure to a potentially toxic chemical. Uh, In that case, I didn't have a deposition, but the case went through the testimony. It went through an appellate court and it ended up in the Supreme Court. So it was really public policy and was worth any of the trouble that was involved in doing it. Now, in preparing for today's short presentation, what have I learned over the years of expert testimony? One, clearly I knew in the beginning, know what you're talking about. Two, you have the opportunity sometimes of seeing that the right side is represented. Three, learn that lawyers are just like physicians. Some of them are more fair than others. So one of the disastrous lessons that I learned, I had to go to a courtroom and was promised that the testimony would be short, which it was, and that I could get back for a lecture late that afternoon. But lo and behold, when I got finished, I found out there was no airport there. I winged my way back, hitchhiking on airplanes, which was quite an experience. So I learned to double check anything I am promised by a physician or an attorney. The next lesson I learned is law school is very different than medical training. And I'll just give you one example. Uh, The the case involved a chain pharmacy, which gave to the patient three times the wrong medication. And there was a great deal of money at stake. I prepared the attorney as carefully as I could. I thought that he understood everything. But when I ended up in a federal courthouse in Northwest America, I could tell by his examination of me that he really didn't understand what we were talking about. And lo and behold, I was saved, or the client was saved, because a juror raised his hand and said, this doesn't make sense to me, judge. May I ask a question? I didn't know a juror could do that. (laughs) Lo and behold, the question was the right question. The juror understood it without any preparation, even though the lawyer that I was trying to help had forgotten the whole story. So I've learned to be not only careful, but super careful, and to repeat the message three times to be sure you get it across.
0: That That's an incredible story. Is that something that you have come across uh, more than that one time? Do you find that it can be difficult to communicate to your attorney?
1: I have found it extremely difficult. I'll give you another example. I, it was a patent case. Because of the complexity of the patent case, I couldn't just fly into Baltimore and fly out. I had to sit to listen to a lot of testimony all week. Uh, but I had to get back to the to work, so I told on the last day of flexibility that I had, I told the counsel that I really had to leave. Could he ask the judge, could I testify? I testify, and in his examination, I guess he was tired and so, had been away from home for a week. He missed the entire point, and he lost the case. But luckily, he appealed. On the appeal, the appellate court judge got it right. So saved again. (laughs) But that reinforced my belief that you have to be extremely careful. You can't assume that the attorneys are going to get it right when you explain it. Their background is so different that you have to be extremely careful.
0: Do you have a specific strategy that you employ to try and mitigate that?
1: Yes. If I'm asked to examine plaintiffs, uh, I have developed a very simple method. In terms of dermatotoxicology, there probably aren't a a thousand choices. The main claims usually are irritation. Photo irritation, allergic contact dermatitis, photoallergic contact dermatitis, percutaneous penetration, or contact urticaria syndrome. So every report covers every one of those issues to minimize the likelihood of a miscommunication. So maybe there are a few more words than you need, but I think it helps.
0: So you were saying that there aren't a lot of people with your precise specialty who are necessarily um, also expert witnesses. Do you feel that for an expert witness, um, not just in the medical field, but in general, it's important to have a niche?
1: I entered medicine a long time ago. What is known then compared to what is known today is not one order of magnitude, it's several orders of magnitude. Today, it's often based upon evidence, which it wasn't when I started. So yes, I think in medicine, you really want to know what you're doing. And you don't want to take any case that flies across your desk. You want to deal with that you really know you have experience in and know the science.
0: Let's uh, talk a little bit about the vetting process. So you as you said have been doing this for a very long time. Um when you get that initial call, what are the sorts of questions that they ask? And also, you know, obviously it's a two-way vetting process. How do you decide whether or not you want to take a uh, potential engagement?
1: I have a very simple process. Before they reach me, they have probably seen what I've done in the lab or clinically for decades. So they know a fair amount about what I've said. They might have also gone into the courtroom records, which they can easily access and see what I've done there. But I don't have that advantage when they call. So first, I ask for a very simple presentation. What is their position? What is their client asking them to do? Two, I ask them, is any of this likely to affect public policy. If it affects public policy and is likely to get to a higher court, I'm very much more interested. Many of the phone calls, I can tell I don't agree with their position without having to review every record. I obviously am not there to make things up. I can often tell by the phone call that I really cannot support their position. They really don't want me.
0: Do you turn down a significant number of cases?
1: Uh, at least half.
0: Oh, no kidding. And, and is that typically because, as you said, it, you either uh, don't find yourself in agreement with the position that they're taking, or it doesn't have a, a public policy effect that you're hoping for, or are there other reasons?
1: The main reason is uh, I only want to support the fair side of the story I don't want to make up stories to support the wrong side. And if I can figure that out in the first call, I'm delighted. Sometimes it takes me the first call and then changing my mind when I see the records. Namely, the records don't fit what I was told in the first call.
0: Have you ever had an attorney try to push you to not necessarily lie, but to say something in a way that, you know, makes it sound like you're taking a a position other than the one that you actually mean to take? And if so, how do you deal with that from an ethical perspective?
1: Well, you have to back away. I can't uh, support positions that the data doesn't support.
0: Is that something that comes up with uh, any frequency in your practice?
1: Uh, it's come up several times, yes. The big ethical conundrum that I've come across is a very sad ethical conundrum, and that is several times I've realized that the council that has retained me really doesn't have the depth to deal with the client's problem.
0: You've uh, been in every type of possible expert witness relationship over the years. Have you done a significant amount of um, cross-examinations and uh, depositions where you've kind of been put in front of somebody trying to impeach you as a witness? And if so, um, how do you deal with that? How do you keep your cool and maintain your composure?
1: Well, I've learned a very clear lesson there. A couple of years ago, an associate, not a partner, of a na- national law firm thought he could wear me out to change my opinion. So we agreed to meet in a law office in downtown San Francisco at seven o'clock, about seven o'clock at night. And at one o'clock in the morning, I was exhausted. But he said he was not finished with me, but I come come back tomorrow night. We did that three nights in a row. I learned from that lesson, I knew what he was trying to do. He was trying to wear me out and change my testimony, my report. And now I know that I should have walked out at 11 o'clock the first night, and that he had no ability to, to lasso me down. That was a valuable lesson.
0: When you're on the stand, you know, you're obviously very well published. You've been um, for the better part of gosh, 50 years, you've been writing maybe even longer um, in in a lot of medical journals and elsewhere. Is it important that you remember every little thing that you've ever written? Um, You know, over time, people's opinions change. As you were saying, medicine has changed since then. Uh, how do you deal with somebody trying to impeach you on something that you said a very long time ago?
1: I try to be very careful in preparation. I go back to my bibliography. I go back to the textbooks to see what has changed in the intervening years, be, namely, be prepared. The attorney wants should be prepared, and the expert should be prepared.
0: Are there any preparation methods that you find are particularly effective? For example, do you like uh, mock cross-examinations?
1: I have had mock cross-examination, but I did not find it helpful. I think it helped the council to be sure that I was prepared, and luckily I was.
0: Are, are there other preparation techniques that you do find more effective?
1: I cross-examine myself constantly when I see patients and when I am involved in courtroom work, namely, do I have the story straight or have I rapidly jumped to a conclusion without examining all the data?
0: Uh, But before we wrap up, I, I have a question that I ask of all of my interviewees. Uh, and that is how important is winning to you? Do you keep a tally of like wins versus losses? Is that something that's uh, in the calculus when you decide to take a case? Not only is our, you know, do you feel comfortable and are you on the right side of it, but is it winnable? How important is that to you?
1: I hate to admit this, but I don't like to lose. I think it's a very human trait. And, uh, The few times that I've lost, I asked myself how did it happen? And I think I learned a lot lot from that.
0: Do you stay abreast of the case as it, you know, progresses and unfolds?
1: I routinely tell the counsel that this is not something that I jump in and out of, I will learn long term. The little picture and the big picture. So I keep a list of all the cases. And if they don't voluntarily tell me, I call them up after.
0: Sure. So you do like to, to you know, make sure that you know exactly what's going on. Um, it's it's interesting. I've I've heard from experts that that's extremely important. In other words, and in, in other experts that never hear uh, from the attorney again after their portion of the case is, is finished.
1: Uh, do you have any last advice uh, for experts? Well, my big picture is that... Although it's obviously stressful when you're in the witness stand, it's well worth it if you can make the legal system fairer for everybody, the companies and the individual plaintiffs and defendants.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Maybach, for joining me here today. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for another discussion at the Roundtable. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Discussions at Roundtable. Our show notes are available on our website, roundtablegroup.com. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening apps.